Well, praise the Lord. I really am excited to be in the house this morning, not just because I'm preaching, but I'm just excited. I love to come to church and, and be with the Lord. Now, I'm going to be teaching on a subject today uh, that, you know, I haven't heard taught on very often. So um, I'm teaching on stewardship. And I don't know if Nicole knew that about the steward or, or she knew what I was teaching on or not. I've tried to not tell anyone because that way it all flows. It's from God and it all flows. So anyway, there is a lot of information, a lot more than I can even share with you today, uh, of information in the Bible concerning stewardship. But I want to share what we can share, what I can share with you today, with some of it, some of it. And I believe it will help all of us if, and that word if is a little teeny tiny word, but if we apply it to our lives. Okay? So you say, what is stewardship? Well, stewardship is using and managing all the resources that God provides for us. Using and managing all the resources. Basically, it's a, a manager who administers or takes care of that which belongs to someone else, all right? He oversees the owner's assets for the owner's benefit, and he carries no sense of entitlement to his stuff. No sense of entitlement. Like, it's not mine. He just carries no sense of entitlement. His job is to find out what his owner or his master wants done with his assets and carry out his will. That's what, a, that's what a steward is, all right? Church, I, I really didn't want to preach this, but God really pressed on me. I mean, I tried to get another message, and he just kept pressing on me to do this one, so I knew it was the right thing to do. But this is a task that I want, I want you, if you hear nothing else today, this is a task that you need to take very seriously, very seriously. You say, well, why is that, Phyllis? Because when Jesus returns, honey, we're going to be held responsible for what he has entrusted into our hands. All right? Now, remember King David? All of us remember King David. And in these latter years, he assembled gold, silver, brass, iron, precious stones, and all these resources to build the temple, even though knowing he would never build the temple. But see, he understood stewardship. So he was preparing for future generations. Do you see this? He was preparing, saving up, getting it all gathered together for future generations. Now, in 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter, and the 16th verse, David's talking to the Lord. And he said, O oh Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared what he was talking about, the gold, the silver, all that that he had got ready and gathered together. He said, all this store that we have prepared to build thee a house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. So in other words, see, he understood stewardship. He was saying, God, it's already yours. He realized that everything, everything belongs to God. And in Psalms 24.1, says, the earth is the Lord's. What God created the earth, right? And the fullness thereof, everything in the earth. The world 
and they that dwell in it. Now, he's talking about you and I. Seriously, we don't even own ourselves. We don't own ourselves. So David saw that everything, everything here on this earth, even though he was gathering it together and he was going to present it to God, you know, to, for the house of the Lord, he saw that everything belonged to God. So David understood stewardship. That's what I want you and I to understand today. I want us to realize nothing, absolutely nothing belongs to us. Your house don't belong to you, your car, cars don't belong, your diamond rings, whatever. It, nothing belongs to you because we are God's managers or stewards over all of his property and it all belongs to him, yet he lets us use it, doesn't he, and manage it. Now, you say, okay, Pastor Phyllis, how can I become a good steward? Because that's what I want to be. I want to be a good steward of what God has put in my hands. Well, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, which we're not going to read all those scriptures, but I'm going to read the first scripture, and all of you know the story, and I'll, I'll relate the story to you. But it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who calleth his own servants, and delivered unto him his goods. So in other words, he leaves his servants to take care of the things that he owns, right? So now God is talking here in all this 14 through 30 about talents. And it's not talking about your ability to sing or whatever it might be. It's not talking about that. It's meaning money. In this situation, it's talking about money. And he says to this, to one he gave five, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. And it was according, he said, to their ability, how they could handle it, how they could produce, you know, or, or were they capable? They were capable of five, two, and one. He knew their ability, but God expected a return on his money. So after the master returned, what did he do? He held each servant responsible, didn't he, for their share of what was entrusted to him. And, and um, the one that earned him five, brought him back another five. The one that earned him two, brought him another two. And the one that earned him one, brought back nothing but the one. But all these excuses, all these excuses, okay? So the ones that made God money or was a good steward, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Now remember that word faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. He just give them a little bit. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And God rewarded them. See, God wants to bless you. He wants to raise you up. But you've got to be faithful with the little things. But the one that hid his money... He called him a wicked and slothful servant. That slothful means he was lazy, just absolutely lazy. And he cast him into outer darkness, said where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, my goodness. When I was going through this, I thought, oh, God, I want to be a good steward. You know, and wicked here means he put himself above his master. He was not managing his master's stuff. He was managing his own life. And he was very shrewd, very shrewd man. So the master says, that's wicked. And now I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said, you knew what I required of you, and I never took you beyond your means. 
I took you where you could be successful, you know, but you were wicked. You were wicked in your intent, watching out for your own self instead of for me or not for me. Okay, so you were unfaithful, and we all know that unfaithfulness and wicked, or uh, sorry, wickedness and unfaithfulness is sin. So instead of him being rewarded, what happened? No ifs, no ands, no buts. He was cast into hell. I know this stuff is serious, very serious. Is this my water? Can you open it, Lincoln? Or <clears throat> I'm thirsty. Thank you, dear. Whew. Oh, well, Pete wouldn't, Pete wouldn't care if I spilled it on the floor. Okay, but I just want us to understand how important it is to be a good steward. Now, we're going to talk about time. We're going to talk about being a good steward of God's time, all right, and his money that he has given us here on this earth. Listen, God has given us 24 hours in a day. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Are we spending it wisely or are we wasting it, church? Are we wasting it? Do we invest our time in earthly things or God's time in earthly things? Or do we invest it in eternal and heavenly things? Now, I'm not saying you got to be all this all the time or praying all the time or reading all the time. Oh, no. God says he requires a reasonable amount of service. Just reasonable. Okay? And here's where I had to repent. I told you Wednesday night that I had to repent over this message. And here's where I had to repent. And listen, trust me. I know that you work 8 to 10, some of you 12 hours a day, and you're tired. And you come home and you just want to relax. You want to lay on the, you want to eat your dinner, you want to lay on the couch, you just want to relax. But here's where I had to repent. Now, I, I love all these things. I love Facebook. I do, because you get to pray for people. You get to see their life and how they're doing, and you can connect with them. It's like a, a little body, but Facebook TV, I love TV, good, clean shows on TV. Your computer, you can buy anything over the computer. Your sports, you know, I love to go and see Lincoln play basketball and Quentin play baseball, and I love sports. And you have your hobbies. But here's where I had to repent. Seriously, I would come home, I'm tired, I would eat dinner, and then I would sit on the couch and watch TV till I went to bed. And then I would get on Facebook, and think, and I love them, don't get me wrong. I'm not come, coming against it. I'm coming against me. I would get on Facebook, and I'd think I was on there for 15 minutes. I'd have been on there for an hour and a half. Oh, yeah, it just goes by so quick. So God just dealt with me on that. He said, you're not using your time wisely. And I'm not. I'm not. Now, he only requires, like I said, a reasonable amount of time. But I was not using it wisely. Now, uh, this hobby, this, I, I will share this with you. I took care of a lady that had cancer, and uh, she confessed some things to me, and she said, Pastor Phyllis, she said, I love my hobby. She said, I've loved it all my life, this hobby. She said, and I love doing it. She said, but I wish, I wish I would not have done it as much as I did it. 
She said, I wish I would have been about my father's business. And that's, I'm probably paraphrasing. I don't know how she said it because it was years ago. But she said, I wish I would have been about my father's business. And I wasn't. She said, I loved my hobby more than I loved being a, doing what was right with God. So I'm just saying, listen, Jesus knows where our heart is, doesn't he? Because he says that where your, heart, where your treasure is, or I'm sorry, that's where our treasure will be. Our heart will always be revealed by what we give our time to, you know? And because we give our time to what we love the most. And that's what she had done. She had given her time to her hobbies. But, I mean, the woman was a good woman. And, uh, but she said, I wish, and I wish I could tell people, so I'm telling you now. She said, I wish I could tell people, let the hobbies, they, you can have the hobbies, but they need to be on the back burner. God needs to be on the front burner, okay? So, I want to talk to you about reading in your time, about reading. We need a relationship with God. And how are you ever going to have a relationship with the Father if you don't read? If you don't read his word or pray. Let's talk about praying and reading. If you don't read or you're not going to have a relationship with him if you do not read and you don't pray. When I got saved, my husband and I had two jobs and, and we were making good money. But he quit his job. And he went and, and started studying for the ministry. So he stayed home. So he was only on one paycheck. But every morning, I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I told you that because of later on something I have to tell you. But anyway, I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning after I got saved. And I would read my word for a half hour. See, God honored that. He knew that was all the time I had. I would read it for a half hour, get ready, drive to Copeland Corporation, and the 15 minutes I was driving, I prayed, going there. The 15 minutes back, I prayed, going, you know, coming back home. See, he only requires, I want you to know this, a reasonable amount of service. Because he knew when I got home, I had to cook, I had to do dishes, I had to sit for two hours with Nicole with her homework, because she'd lay her head down and, oh, mom, and you know how, how kids are, they don't want to do their homework. So I'd sit there for two hours with her, trying to help her with her homework. Then you've got laundry, you've got bills, you've got grocery shop. I mean, I had everything. So see, but God honored that little half hour and the 15 minutes and the 15 minutes. He honored that. So I'm just, I'm in, I want to encourage you to pray and read your Bible. You're not going to know him if you don't read about him. You're not going to know him if you don't pray and talk to him. You know, if you never talked to your husband, would you ever know him? Sharon, no, you wouldn't. And also, while I'm on this thing, we need to teach our children. Be the example. Be the example. Let them see you pray. Let them see you read. Listen, my dad, every night for the whole time I lived with my mom and dad, we got down on our knees at night. Now, we were sinners. Us kids were sinners. But he made us get down on our knees at night, and, and they prayed. And however long they prayed, we had to stay on our knees. But you know what? I might have hated it then, but I am so thankful that I had a praying mother and father. They taught me. They were my example. Now, and the reading, he would gather us up around the fire, because he had six kids. He'd gather us all up in a circle around the fire, because we only had one fire thing in the whole house. 
So anyway, and then he would read to us. And oh, my goodness, we hated it. You know how you look at your brother and sister and, you know, you stick out your tongue or you do something ornery. We hated it. But I'm telling you what, I don't hate it now. I don't hate it now. He was my example of praying and reading, him and my mother. You know, so we've got to teach our children. Let them see you live a holy life, not just in church, but out in the parking lot. When you get out there with your spouse and you start cursing and fighting and, you know, all these things. Let the kids see you live a holy life. Now, so, and there's a lot more about time, but we have a lot of things to go through. But God gives us the opportunity to work and to earn money, doesn't he? He does. Yet some of us dishonor God by what we do with the money that he gives us. Oh, yeah. We buy alcohol. Some of us. Not me. We buy drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, we get into porn in magazines or porn on television. We, get, we buy CDs with bad lyrics. Listen, God doesn't like this. But then you wonder. You say, well, I'm a tither. Why aren't I blessed? You know why? Mm. Because poor stewardship is not rewarded with more money. Poor stewardship is not rewarded with more money. Now, to drive this point, all of this home, David, I'm going to use you as an example, but David is not like this at all, at all. He is faithful, he is diligent, he is a godly man, but I'm going to use him, okay? Let's say this. Let's say that Pastor and I, that God says it, you know, that you have to go on a missions trip and be gone for two years. All right, let's just say that. Well, David's over all the maintenance, and, and we would have to go. David's over the maintenance, so we would call David in. We'd say, David, God's called us on a missions trip for two years. You know, we need you to take care of the building. We need you to leave it in pristine or take care of it just like it is, in pristine condition, just like it is. And here's your money for you, David. Here's your money, your salary for two years. And here's the money for the house of God. Now, we want you to keep it nice. Well, two years happen, comes, come back in two years, we can't hardly even see the church. Because the grass has grown up, the weeds has grown, the trees and everything. And finally, we get in the church and the whole ceiling has fell down and there's mold and mildew all over the carpets and and mold and mildew from the water running down the walls all over and it and it needed painted and it didn't get painted and there's trash all in the hallways and there's the commodes are overflowing what do you think we should do we call David in we say David what did you do with the money that we gave you to keep God's house in order what did you do with it? Well, David have every excuse in the book. Blah, 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 blah. I, blah, blah, blah. You know, what would you expect me to say to him? David Hewitt, you're fired. Get out of here. You are fired. But let's say the other way. Let's say we come back. And David has everything just like it is now. Pristine condition. We're going to call David in. We're going to say, David... You, you're a faithful man. You're a godly, faithful man. You took God's money and you kept his house in order. You kept it in a pristine condition. David, we're going to give you a raise. 
See, this is the way God thinks. This is what this is talking about here. Because he would have been the steward over all the maintenance here. Do you see this? We are stewards over what God has provided for us. And we have to take care of that. Now, our master has called us. He's equipped us. He's commissioned us with a mission. But he's coming again. And on that day, we will give an account for how we have spent our time and how we have spent, well, really his time, and how we have spent his money, all right? So the next step to becoming a good steward is Proverbs 12, 27. It says, the slothful man, or the lazy man, roasteth not that which he took in hunting. You didn't know hunting was in the Bible, did you? Okay. Uh, roasted not that which he took in hunting. In other words, he didn't care about the meat. He was just killing the animal. He was lazy, and he would just let it go to waste. But see, God provided it for him. God provided it for him, but it says the substance. I don't know if it's up there. The substance of a diligent man is precious. That word diligent just means constant effort of accomplishing something. But So the substance of a diligent man is precious. In other words, he kills the animal, he cleans the animal, he preserves the meat. He's a good steward of what God has given him. And, and God doesn't like waste. God just doesn't like waste. Remember the five loaves and the two fishes? How many basketfuls was left over that they took up? Twelve basketfuls was left over because he doesn't like waste. Now my mama used to say, and she's from the south, so she had all these aphorisms, and she would say, a man can bring in money into the household by the shovelfuls. Do you remember that, Priya? <laughs> by the shovelfuls, and, and a woman can teaspoon it out till it becomes nothing, meaning so wasteful. But a man can do that too. A man can bring it in, but a man can teaspoon it out, boats and cars and Whatever it might be, you know, that you're spending your money on, God's money on. Okay, so, so God doesn't like waste, and we need to be careful of what, how we do, because this is a generation that we have so much. We have so much that it's okay. Oh, we could throw that half a loaf of bread in the garbage. It's starting to get old. I've got this new one. I've done it before. I've done it before. I'm telling you, God's checking me in every area of my life because it's his provisions, not mine, but he's provided it for me. Now, <clears throat> if God enables you to own a home, you know what, let's take care of it. Let's take care of it. It's not yours. It's his. So you're taking care of his property. You need to keep it clean. You need to keep the lawn mowed. You need to keep it repaired. And you might say, Pastor Phyllis, you don't understand. When I bought this home, I stretched myself financially. So it's really hard for me to have it repaired. I understand that. I do understand that. But, see, you're not the owner, so who do you go to for this? <laughs> you go to the owner, and you say, God, I got a problem here. I've stretched myself too much on this payment, and I can't keep everything like it needs to be. So I need your help. I need you to bring somebody that I could barter with. I need overtime. I need something. And you don't really need to even tell God what you want to do. He'll just bring it. And then once you pray, 
You've got to believe you received once you prayed. So you pray, and then you start quoting scripture. God, I thank you. You've provided everything for me. I thank you, God, that you provide all my needs according to your riches and glory. You know, and you get a scripture though that is familiar with you that talks about God's provision for your life. And then, then after that, thank him for it. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have brought someone to fix my house. Listen, our house was leaking. We didn't have enough money to fix the roof. And here come Calvin Snyder with two buckets of drywall stuff and, and something else and fix the roof. This is what I mean. God will do it. It's his property. So he's going to take care of it. God's a good steward. He's going to take care of it. So remember, God is the owner. We are the managers, all right? 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter and the second verse, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards, are we stewards? That a man be found faithful. Now, that word required means absolutely necessary. It's absolutely necessary that we, being stewards, be found faithful. Faithful means someone worthy of trust that can be relied upon. A person who shows himself faithful in business, duties, um, he's loyal, and God can totally depend on you, all right? Now, I know we've read this, but i got to read it again for this here. Matthew 25, 23, it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. In other words, the smallest task in doing something for the Lord may receive the greatest reward. God wants us to be productive with all these little teeny tiny things so that he can give us bigger and better things like Janie said today. You know, he give us bigger and better things. He loves you. He loves you so much. You're his kid. He wants to bless you so much, but he's limited to what we do, you know? Let, let me, God wants to trust you. Let me tell you a story about Lincoln. Yeah, oh, he's on the hot seat now. He, he was about five years old, and Lincoln has always loved jewelry. I mean, he loves rings. He loves watches. Now, he don't wear big necklaces and stuff like that, but he loves rings and watches, okay? So his little heart, he just admired our jewelry all the time, you know, and I thought, oh, my goodness, that's so sweet. I'm going to go buy him a little ring. So I, oh, he's laughing. I bought him this little gold ring, and I don't know how much it cost. It probably wasn't much, but still, maybe $35, $40. I don't know, it was a little teeny tiny ring. And I bought that for him, and I said, now, Lincoln, honey, keep this always on your finger. Don't take it off. Okay, my mom, I won't, I won't, I won't. I said, now, you promise? Yeah, I promise, I won't. He goes in the bathroom, he's sitting on the pot. takes it off he plays with it he throws it in the pot and flushes it so I never could trust him with another ring again <laughs> I don't even know if I can trust you down no I'm teasing I'm teasing but no God, I just made that a little funny but God wants to trust us he wants to be able to trust us okay now this is gonna ooh, don't hate me Okay, once you start something, okay, and give your word to someone or to God, say you make a vow to God, 
or say you give your word to someone, listen, finish it. Do what you're telling them you're going to do, whether if it's whatever, I don't know, helping them move, clean the garage, do whatever, help them do it. But like a Bible study, if you told God, God, I'm going to hold this Bible study for this amount of time, keep your word, keep your word. If you're in the children's church, don't give up. Keep your word for however long God leads you to keep you in there. Uh, the main house, if you're out shaking hands at the welcome center or at the door or whatever, but when you're over something, keep your word. Now, and let me tell you this, this is going to step on our toes. And you know as soon as you start something that's going to make a difference for God, who's going to show up? The devil. The devil's going to show up, and as soon as he shows up, what does he do? Starts applying pressure. Pressure to you. Seriously. So that we'll quit working for the Lord. We'll give it up. See, we won't be faithful. All right? Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you get sick. Maybe someone talks bad about you. <clears throat> so you don't want to be at the Welcome Center because you're thinking, oh, Lord, everybody knows that. I know they know that. You know, listen, don't let that stuff bother you. Don't let that stuff bother you. So then you start breaking your commitment. So you become unfaithful because of the pressure, and you start breaking your commitment, and you come to pastor, you say, or whoever's over that area, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do it anymore. You know, I'm sick, I'm this, I'm that. That's what he wants. That's what the devil wants. That's what he's happy about. That's what he's there for, to apply pressure to you. So what does it come? What does it become? Self-protection. Okay, it's costing you something now because you're being sick or whatever. You lost your job and your mind's totally on your job. And, and if you realize that it's going to cost you something, then it loses a lot of its value, doesn't it? Because it's just not as important as when God told you to do it. It's just not as important because it's costing you something. So whatever you committed yourself to, Two, whether God or man, and you become unfaithful in that, you're saying my well-being and my outcome is more, than, more important than the task that I committed to God to, to fulfill. Church, we've got to be strong. Listen, don't let the devil push you around. Don't let him put pressure on you. Listen, he put pressure on me for almost six years of being sick. But I'm back. Listen, don't be a weenie Christian. And you say, Pastor Phyllis, what do you mean by a weenie Christian? Well, you know a little hot dog, a little old weenie that just gets tossed around, you know, like this. And that's what they do. You're not going to get anything from God because you're a weenie. You're not. But there are weenie Christians. I believe with all my heart you're strong. I believe you can fight the devil. You got the word. You got the best amount. Of, I mean, you've got a good amount of the word, and you're getting the best. You're getting top of the line, because I'm telling you, my husband preaches the word. But let's not be a weenie Christian. Let's start using the word of God and start saying, this is what I'm going to do. Devil, you are not coming against me. Seriously, guys, if I would have laid down and I wanted to many, 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 many times, I would not be here today. I would be dead. That's the truth. But I'm not a weenie Christian. I'm going to fight the devil. And I'm going to put pressure on him. And you know what puts pressure on him? Praying, reading, praising God, 
quoting scriptures. He can't stand it. Did he have to run when Jesus quoted scriptures? Oh, I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back, devil. Or devil, I'll be back, God. You know, he had to run. We could, and, and listen, if you're sick in here, please don't think I'm coming against you or talking about you. I was sick for six years. But that's when we've got to gird ourselves up and not become a weenie Christian. We've got to do the things that we know to do. All right? I don't know why I got off on that, but Luke 16, 12 says, If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So in other words, as you develop excellent work habits, God's going to trust you, and I know I've already read this, with more and more. He just is. This is so important. Whether you're working in children's church, cleaning the church, helping someone, preaching the gospel, or on your job, he's going to raise you up. He's going to raise you up. Now, so let me, let me say this about Nicole. She thinks she's being all nice over there, but I'm going to tell this story on her. No, it is a good story. It's a good story. But uh, people probably here in the church, and it's not a bad thing to think, but you probably think, well, the reason Nicole, you know, is working in the church and she is over the band and she does this and she does that is because of nepotism, which is, you know, she has favor with her dad and I because she's our child. No, not true at all. At eight years old, Nicole ran the nursery. I mean, she took care of the babies in the nursery at eight years old. It was only two, but hey, two's two, you know, at eight years old. And then when we were uh, putting the, taking our tubafors out of the garage for the sound system, we couldn't take all of them or it'd fall down. So she had to go to the lumber yard and get tubafors. She didn't have a car. She's like, I don't know, maybe 10 years old. So she rode her bike. And she would put a two before under one arm and ride it all the way back home because I was working. Pete didn't have a car. And so she would ride back home with that two before. And the kids in town, you know how that looks. Oh, my gosh, you're so embarrassed. You don't want you to look at her. She's hiding her eyes. You don't want your friends seeing you with a big two before <laughs> stuck underneath your arm riding to the house. You drop that one off, you go back and get another two before, okay? But. So she was taking care of the nursery. She was helping her, her dad build the, the uh, sound system. And then she babysat, and you'll have to tell me on this one, Nicole. This lady went to Bible college a year or two, two years Bible college, and you babysat nine kids, was that, huh? Nine. Nine kids for two years. Every, how many nights a week? Three nights a week, and plus all of her homework, all of the things she had to do at school. Listen, this girl's earned her badge. But anyway, then, so the, the song leader left and moved to a different area. You remember? So we put Nicole in part-time. We just said, Nicole, you got to take over. I can't do it. I ain't doing it. Kicking and screaming. I ain't doing it. We said, you've got to. We don't have anybody else. We'll right now, we'll put it up on that whatever it is. Ray would know to get somebody in here to be a song leader. And no, I ain't doing it. Mom, Dad, I ain't doing it. We said, just, just do it a couple of weeks. And then actually do it a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks more, <laughs> you know. So see, but God was raising her up, not us. She didn't want to be raised up. She was afraid. She was scared. And that's what we get into. So 
she now she's over the band she takes care of all the finance department she's got two ladies that work under her and she teaches once ever whatever four weeks or six weeks what listen that's teaching's a hard job you got to study your brains out because you guys get a good word here and 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 we've got to be able to keep that up you know and then she has a house with three kids two still in school She's got to run the one all over, be at all the ball games. She's got two dogs and Randy. So it isn't nepotism, guys. She earned it. God just kept giving her bigger and better things. And that's what he wants to do with all of you. All of you, but you've got to be a good steward, okay? Let's look at Daniel. We all know the story of Daniel, right? He was a faithful man. <clears throat> and the king set over his kingdom a hundred and 20 princes and three presidents, okay? And he said, so there would be no damage brought to the king. I have no idea what that means. Maybe so we can give him wisdom. I don't know. But anyway, in Daniel 6, 3 and 4, it says this. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes. Now, why was he preferred? Well, it'll tell you here in a second. Because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now jealousy jumps up. Jealousy arises because when people see God taking you somewhere, they become jealous. Okay? So, and the king set, uh, thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel. So they got to find something that they can, you know, mess him up with concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error found in him. Now, so you know the, the story. The men got together, and they went to the king. And they said, hey, king, you got to sign this law that if any man asks a petition of God or man except for you, for 30 days they get thrown into the lion's den. See, they knew that Daniel prayed every day. And they knew he prayed with these windows open, okay, because they heard him. Okay, so the king, not thinking, he signs the law. All right, so then they go. And they watch for Daniel to pray. And when he did, they run to the king and they tell the king, well, the king hates it because he loves Daniel. And he doesn't want to kill Daniel and throw him in the lion, or to throw him in the lion's den. So, but he has to honor his law. So they throw him in the lion's den. He fasts all night long, the king does. Fasts all night long. And the mouths of the lions were shut. So he gets up early in the morning. He's all excited. The king is. He runs down there because he wants to see if Daniel's God took care of him during the night. And sure enough, he opens that door, and there's Daniel. And the mouths on those lions are shut. What does he do? He takes the husband, the men that come to him about signing the law, takes all of them, their wives, and their children, and puts them in the lion's den. Listen. Daniel stood up for what was right. He knew. He knew what would happen. He knew that he would be called in or put in the lion's den. You know what? I think Daniel was just willing to die. He was willing to die because he was so faithful to God. Now, some of you know this story because you've been here a long time, and some of you are new and you don't. So I'm going to tell you a little story about Copeland Corporation. Remember I told you back earlier that pastor, we had two paychecks, and, and he quit working to study for the ministry. Well, I continued to work and um, to provide for the family while he was studying. So anyway, I mean, Nicole barely had clothes on her back. 
I would go to, I, I forget the name of it, Value City, I think it was in Lima, take clothes off of the sail rack, and there'd be like stains on them from <laughs> ice cream or whatever, and I would take them home, I'd buy them because they were like 50 cents or a dollar. So I'd take them home, and that's how I, during this time. So I'm just wanting you to see, they would hang red tags on our door. It's going to cut our electric off, but it never got cut off. Now, so I was going to work. I was bringing home the money. So they called me into the office. And all these men was down at this end of the table, you know, and they put me up here. And now I know why. Because they were trying to intimidate me, but I didn't realize that then. But I do now. They put me all down there by myself, and they were all up here. And Bruce Oldslegger, which was my manager, plant manager, he said, Phyllis, he said, it's been brought to my attention that you're reading your Bible during break and on your lunchtime. I said, yeah, Mr. Oldslegger, that's true. He said, this has got to stop. I want it to stop. And I said, well, Mr. Oldslegger, this is my time. My 15 minutes in the morning, 15 in the afternoon, and my lunch, that's my time. He took his fist, and he slammed it down on that wooden desk. And you know how it's like a cartoon. Everything kind of jumps up. He said, did you hear me? I said, I want it stopped. And he said, I said, uh, well, I said, um, with all due respect, <laughs> Mr. Olslager, I said, I don't say anything about the men's calendars. I just wanted him to know that I knew. I said, I don't say anything about the men's calendars with all the pornographic pictures on them hanging up back there because see I was over a bunch of men and I said I don't say anything about that I says but I will not stop reading my Bible and I will not stop uh, at, on my break and my lunch I said I will not do that I won't do it and um, I said now and see the devil was coming at me you're going to lose your home Phyllis you're going to lose your car, you're going to lose everything you have. You don't have nothing now. You're going to lose the rest of what you have. You're going to be out on the street. So he beat me in the head. And I looked at Mr. Olslager and I said, Mr. Olslager, you've got to do what you have to do. And I will do what I have to do. And that was the end of the conversation. I never got fired. I never got reprimanded again. And I continued to read my Bible break and lunch we got to be faithful church we've got to be faithful no matter what it costs us if it costs us our job now don't read your bible and stuff on their time don't do that i would never do that i would never cheat somebody like that okay but we've got to be steadfast and unmovable in our faith faithful to god our family our church our job and the word of god We've got to be faithful to the Word of God. Whatever the Word tells us to do, we need to do. Which takes us to my next point. Now, <clears throat> the next thing we need to look at in stewardship is being obedient. Being obedient. Obeying the Word of God. At the most basic level, stewardship requires obedience to God's Word. Obedience means doing what you are told, even if you don't understand why. Poor little David, he gets he goes through this stuff all the time. David, do this, this, and this. Why do I ask? No, David never argues. He says, okay, Pastor Phyllis, I'll do it. But listen, even if you don't understand why, it's not a weakness. It's a strength. 
Obedience is a strength. It's not a weakness. Not a weakness. So, look at Abraham's life. You know, God tells him, come out into this land that I'm going to show you. <laughs> Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what he would encounter, the life-threatening situations that he would run into. But you know what? He obeyed. And we don't know what we're going to encounter in our journey of being obedient. But obedience is faithfulness. And obedience is a statement of our faith, our trust, our loyalty, submitting to God in our actions, what we do, our words, and our thoughts. Anything short of total obedience is disobedience. Anything short of it, it's disobedience. When you got saved, you obeyed. Think about it. You start going to church. You stopped cursing. You stopped telling dirty jokes. You stopped your drinking. You stopped your running around and sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You confessed you were a Christian. Therefore, you were saved. Obedience is faith in action. Faith in action. Now, Luke 6, 46 and 47 says this. And why call ye me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. So now in this next scripture, God's going to show us to who we're like if we're obedient. Matthew 7, 24 and 27, it says, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. How many of you in here want to be wise? Absolutely. And it says the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings, now listen to this, of mine, and doeth them not, that's disobedience, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So I want you to see here that every one of us is put into one or two categories by Christ. One or two categories or one or two classes by Christ, the wise and the foolish. I want to be wise. If you're obedient, you're wise. You know, so how we build our lives determines which class we're in. If we want to be wise, then we have to obey. We have to build our lives upon the Word of God, which is the rock. And when trials and tribulations and storms and persecutions and all those things come, and they will, they will, you know what? We won't be shaken, and we won't fall because we've got the Word of God to hang on to, okay? So the Word is our solid foundation. But if we hear the Word and we don't do it, we become as a foolish person, a foolish builder, see. He hears the instructions of the master builder. He hears it, and he sees the blueprint. He looks right at the blueprint. This is our blueprint. This is our uh, master builder's plan, okay? He's in church. He has Christian friends. He receives the word, but he refuses to build accordingly to the, according to the instruction manual that the master builder has laid out for him. How foolish, how foolish is that, that we will not build according to our blueprint or the word of God. Now, so we need to get the word of God in us 
and do everything it tells us to do. And then your house or your life will be able to stand the storms. Maybe sickness, like I was telling you earlier, for six, almost six years, I had that. You know, and you're, you're going to be able to stand the storms that come against you. And I promise you, when you're in your storm, you're having all these problems, you'll have peace. You'll have peace. Because when they were telling, he was telling me basically, I want to stop you reading your Bible. I had peace. I had peace. So, now, the last thing to being a good steward. I'm not here to ask you for money. I'm not here to give you the slick presentation of why I want you to tithe. Because you're good tithers, most of you. <laughs> but I am, <laughs> I am here to help you help yourself to get all the blessings that God has in store for you because like James said, he wants to bless you. He loves you. He loves you so much and so that you'll stop cheating yourself, all right? You need to be a tither. You need to be a tither to be blessed because God wants you blessed. Now, I'm going to read this, and I know you've heard it a million times, but I want to read it because there might be some young people here. You know, I didn't even do the live stream or the visitors today or anything. I have my mind on other things. But anyway, uh, it says in Malachi 3, 8 through 11, says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? He says, In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation, Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Now, the store, we know the tithe is 10%. We know the storehouse is the church, the church where you're attending, that there may be meat in mine house. That means the word of God can be preached, okay? And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Try me, test me, check me out. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, go back here to verse 10, and it talks about God opening windows. It's not talking about one window. He's put an S on there. It's plural. Windows. And you say, okay. But that means this, different avenues. Windows ain't all on the same end of your house. Different avenues to where God can bless you. Different avenues. I had a lady in my office just last week. She said, Pastor Phyllis, we just started tithing. She said, and you'll never guess what happened. And I said, well, what? She said, I've never received anything from my child's father, any child support ever. I've never received any of that. She said, I get a statement from, I don't know if it's a state or whoever. I, I don't understand how that works. But she said, I got this statement saying that I'm going to get all this back child support. Different avenues, guys. When you tithe, it's different avenues that God brings your blessings in. Trust me. Now, some Christians, they don't believe in tithing. And that's okay. We can agree to disagree. And there's probably some of you in here today. But remember this, tithing was before the law. In Genesis 14, 18 through 20, tithing was during the law. 
in Numbers 18, 24 through 26. And tithing still exists after the law. Hebrews 7, 5 through 9. It is a command from God to bring your tithe. And it is a blessing for those that obey and a curse for those that disobey. Because listen, when he says he'll rebuke the devourer, see what happens is the devil starts stealing your stuff. John, like you take your lawnmower. You know, it takes a lot of money, two or $300 to fix a lawnmower, maybe your car. Whatever it is, he starts stealing your things. And if you think about it, you're giving your money to all those things and not giving it to God. You know, which would be a lot cheaper if you gave it to God because you probably wouldn't have that much tithe to have to pay. But I just want you to see this because the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So tithing is a key, is a key of being a good steward. All right? Now here are some other keys. We're talking about finances right now. Proverbs 6.6 6 says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. And remember, we all agree we want to be wise. Which having no guide, no see overseer or ruler, no one to tell her what to do, she provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth the food in the harvest. In other words, she saves, she prepares, she's diligent with what God has provided for her. She's up and about doing something doing something to get her food. Look at Joseph. He saved one-fifth of the crops to save his family and all the people during, during the famine, all right? So, listen, Proverbs 21:20 says this, There is a treasure to be desired, and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man, I don't want to be foolish, spendeth it up. Spendeth it up. Stop spending and start a savings account. Now, I'm not telling you to save every dime. You can still have fun. You can still go to lunch. You can take your kids or whatever. But let me tell you how to do this. You say, Pastor Phyllis, I never have any money left at the end of the week. You don't understand. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And you say, I'm a tither, you know. And maybe some of you that aren't a tither, they don't have any money left at the end of the week. Well, you need to start being a tither. But even a tither might say, I don't have any money left at the end of the week. Well, look at it this way. Every week you take 10% of your income and you give it to God, don't you? You believe that God's going to take care of you with that 90%. Does he? Sure he does. Absolutely he does. Okay, so take another 5%. If you can believe he's going to take care of you for 90%, why can't you... Believe that he's going to take care of you for another 5%. Now, even though your bills don't show it, your bills say, oh, no, I've got too much. Don't look at them bills. Don't look at circumstances. Look at God. God's the one that takes care of us. God owns everything. He's our provider. Take that other 5% and put it in direct deposit it into the bank. Because if you leave it in your check, you're going to spend it. And if you put it in your, your checking account, you're going to spend it. Now, you might say, oh, Pastor Phyllis, you just don't understand. But if you take it off the top, just like you do your tithe, I'm telling you this will work. I don't believe God would have told me this if it doesn't work. All right? Now, you say, what do I do when an unexpected bill comes? Oh, okay. How does an unexpected bill get paid? You haven't budgeted for it. How does it get paid? 
somehow it just gets paid, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the same way your bills are going to get paid. God's going to do it. So just as you rely on God to take care of you with the 90%, you need to trust him, believe in him, use your faith to take, for him to take care of the, other eight, or of the 85%. And then, you ain't going to like this, and then you forget about it. You say, how can I forget about I got money in the bank? You forget about it. You put it away and you forget it. Okay, just, and, and you say, okay, all right. You say, what do I do when a need arises? That's when you use your faith. That's when you believe God. That's when you pray over that need and you, and you quote scriptures and I'm telling you and start thanking God. See, God loves faith. He loves it. He loves it. So, and you might say, well, Pastor Phil, I already have the money for it. I've got it saved in the bank. Why should I believe God for it? Because you want to grow, grow your faith. All right? You want to grow your faith. Now, the next key, and you ain't going to like me for this one either, probably. <laughs> you don't have to do any of these. I'm just telling you how you can have a savings account. God will honor it. Okay, save the raise. You never lived on it before. You never had it. Save the raise. Have it direct deposited into your, into your savings account. All right? And then teach your children about God's money. You say, really? Listen, church, we're a generation that's going to be gone one of these days. If I don't teach Nicole, I've taught her money thing all of her life. She is a great money manager. She has taught her grandkids, and we have taught the grandkids. But I'm saying teach your children about money because here's the thing. What happens when the kingdom of God needs your money? What happens when God, like, like you guys did, on the heaters, remember that? God asked for money. You guys or asked for, yeah, for the heaters to be taken care of because they were broken down. You guys, if you hadn't had a savings account, how would you have gave? How would you have given the $1,000 if you hadn't had a savings account? See, God, every now and then, he'll require his money because it's his money. We think it's ours, but it's his. So he will require his money. So we've got to teach our generation after generation after generation. They need a savings account. So when God says, I need it, David, now give me that $1,000. God wouldn't be like that. You have it to give. You have it to give. Now, little Quentin, I tell you what, that kid is a money magnet. I need to put my finger through his loop and just follow him around. Because he can save money like I've never seen in my life before, and I don't know where he gets it. Does he get money out of your purse, Nicole? Okay. No? Guess not. Well, he had a bank in his room, and I've never even seen the bank, so it couldn't have been very big. But he had this bank, Nicole said, in his room, and he came to her and he said, Mom, he said, there's a family in the church that I feel that needs some mo this money. And she said, uh, out, of, out of my bank. And he said, I feel they're in need. And Nikki said, okay. She's thinking $30, $40, you know, okay, Quentin. All right, honey, get, you know, take it and give it to him. She said, now how much is it? He said, $500. Where does it, I mean, I, it's hard to save $500. You know, and, and she said, okay, <laughs> you know, but she said, honey, if God told you to give it, you give it. You be obedient. 
And he went and he blessed that family with that $500. See? But if you don't teach them, they don't know. They don't know. And that's a one thing of being a good steward. Okay? So, another key is this. Oh, buy a home, don't rent. I've taught Nicole this all her life. You buy a home, you don't rent. And uh, because some of you might say, but yeah, but when I... Uh, rent, I don't have to pay taxes, I don't have to pay insurance, I have no upkeep, nope. But every year they raise your rent. Every year. And it goes higher and higher and higher. When you buy a home, the payment very seldom goes up. It might go up a few dollars for taxes, or it might go up a few dollars for, for insurance or something, I don't even know. Mine hasn't went up. Mine hasn't went up at all. Well, I take that back. I take that back, it did go up. I've lived there 13 years, and it did go up in the taxes. I forgot about that. But it's nothing like what your rent would go up, okay? And every year when you own your home, it gets easier and easier to pay that payment. But if you're renting, and also if you're renting, you're not gaining any equity in your home. And equity, is, equity to me, is like money saved. It's just money saved. You might say, well, how's that? Well, let me give you a little example here, and we're almost closing here. Pastor and I bought an old funeral home back, oh, probably 18 years ago. Yeah, funeral home. We didn't know it was a funeral home. <laughs> Trust me, there were some devils in that place, wasn't there, Carol? She'd come and help me get rid of them. But anyway, so we paid $58,000 for that home. Now, it was a brick home out in the country on about five acres. I mean, you know, it really was a nice place. It just needed some fixing up. But you know what? We didn't fix it up. All we did was paint it on the inside because we didn't have the money, see, to fix it up. So we bought it for $58,000. We lived there five years. We sold it for $78,000. That was a $4,000 a year that we made on that house. We made on that house. Now, if we would have kept it till now, if we would have been able to have kept the house, that house would have sold for $150,000. Think of the increase we would have made if we could have stayed there all those years, $150,000 buying it for $58,000. So, you might say, Pastor Falls, I don't have a down payment. I understand that too. I do. Who, who owns all the land? Uh, who owns all the homes around here? <laughs> so who do we go to? God. Go to God. Say, God, I need a home. I need a home. I don't have a down payment. He knows you don't have a down payment. And start praying using your faith. And here's another little key. Start sowing. One guy, sow a seed. Sow a seed for your new, or not new home, but your home, whatever home you're believing for. Last story, Nicole and Randy was getting married. <clears throat> and I've taught her all of her life, you don't rent, you buy. So they started looking for a house, all right? They go around, they're looking everywhere. Finally, they find this little, uh, what do you call it? Um, it's, it's not good. But anyway, they bid at the bank, for, they bid on it for $18,000. A little fixer-upper, that's what I want to say. A little fixer-upper. Now, they could have still lived in it, but boy, it would have been pretty hard. But so they found this little fixer-upper, and they bid on it $18,000. Well, the bank turned them down. So 
uh, the bank was in the process of selling it to someone else after that, after they turned them down. And so they found these gas tanks under the ground. So I think it used to be maybe like an old uh, uh, filling station or something. So the people backed out. The couple said, hey, we ain't paying for those gas tanks to come out of there. They backed out. So the bank had to take it back and pull the gas tanks out themselves. All right? So then they are in the process of selling it to another couple, the bank was. And the inspector comes in. He says, oh, my, there's four sets of shingles on this roof. You can't sell it like that. So the bank had to take all the shingles off, put a new roof on. So then Jesse Duplantis comes here to church. And some of you might not like Jesse, but I'm telling you what, he hears from God. He said, you know what? <laughs> he said, somebody here, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. Oh, yeah, that's right. He said, somebody here is believing for a home. He said, now, I don't know if it's just one person or more than one person. He said, but they're believing for a home. He said, I'm going to tell you what you need to do, Mr. Jesse. He said, sow a seed for what you want to purchase that home for. So Nikki and Randy looked at each other, and they said, they were just dating. They said, $23,500 is all we're going to pay. So they sowed a seed for $23.50. So about three weeks later, it might have been a month, I'm not sure on the timeline, the bank calls them. said, are you kids still interested in this house? And Nikki and Randy said, yeah. They said, <laughs> I'm a wheeler dealer. I'm a, little, I'm a little hillbilly. They said, what would you be willing to pay? I'd have said the 18000 <laughs> But they didn't. They said, because they had sown the seed, they knew what they had to say. They said, $23,500. The bank said, sold. It's sold to you guys. Now, they got all the tanks removed out of the ground. Yeah. Well, you can clap in a minute. But they got all the tanks removed out of the ground. They got their roof fixed. See, God, he does above and beyond what we can even imagine or think. Now, let me tell you this, and then you can clap. They paid $23,500. Their payment was 100 Well, let's say this. Their taxes, their insurance, and their house payment was all included in $156 per month. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, if God will do it for them, he'll do it for you. He really will. But you got to use your faith. you gotta, you got to stretch your faith a little bit. Put your faith in God. He hears you. He loves you. He wants to do above and beyond what you can ever imagine or think. Okay? Now, here's what we're going to do, because this is what God laid on my heart. I had to repent. I mean, I really was sorrowful, because I see, I was just on Facebook, and I was watching TV, because I was tired. Tired. And I don't mean to cry, but my heart's tender, because I want to be a good steward. I want to be a good steward. I want to go to heaven. I want to do what God, thank you, Dreba. I want to do what God has called me to do. So I repented, and I repented mercifully. I mean, I really said, God, I've been a bad steward. I'm not a bad steward with my money, his money, but I'm a bad I was a bad steward with my time because I wanted to do all these other things, you know, and I wanted to just sit and chill. 
eat and chill. <laughs> but listen, what we're going to do today, we're a family. I want you to come down front, all of you, because we're going to pray a prayer of repentance. I want you to come down front. I want you to grab everybody's hand and just hold on to their hand. And I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance. And then I, and you're going to go out of here today and you're going to say, you know what? I'm working on being a good steward. That past is behind me where I've been bad. I've been negligent. I've been this. I've been that. The past is behind me, but I tell you what, I'm moving forward, and I'm moving on, and I'm going to be a good steward that when God comes back, he says, good and faithful servant, enter thou in. So come on down front as the band plays. You know, like Brother Shambach used to say, we've all had an apple while that sack, you know? And I love that man. He was a godly, godly man. And his words still resonate with me, you know? Yep, just grab your brother's sister's hand and come on down. We're a big family, big family. And if you can't get all the way down, scooch in wherever you can scooch in. If you need to stay in the aisles, that's okay too. But we're going to pray, and when I pray, I want you to pray this prayer with me, okay? All right, we're going to pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I am sorry that I have wasted your time, that I have wasted your money, that I've not been faithful. I've not been obedient. God, I ask you to forgive me of being a bad steward. I repent. I turn from this thing. And I will do my best to make you happy and to fulfill what you call me to do. And I thank you Father, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. When you go home and you're driving home, know this, he don't hold any of that against us, none of it. I hold it against myself. The lady with cancer held it against herself, you know, but he doesn't hold any of that against us. So we're all squeaky clean. 